Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Black and White Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Quentin Corkuel. Joining me on this wonderful President's Day afternoon, Will Vanderwall. Will, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Great to hear. This is our first weekend without NFL football since September. This is weird. Yeah, I just processed that. It's also the first weekend that it's it's like really warm outside. Like, it is a beautiful day outside. We had some of these, like, weird February warm days last year, and we were playing football, and now there's no football. So you kind of just got to go play football. Oh, yeah. And I like how now that baseball hasn't started yet, college baseball is getting so much attention, which I really, really like because college baseball mm-hmm. is super-duper fun. I'm really, I really like that it's getting the attention it has been. Because uh, who knows if we're going to get Major League Baseball let, uh, this year let alone yeah. in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, let alone on time. You know it. Um, did you enjoy the All-Star game as much as I did? I definitely enjoyed the All-Star game. As I, you should have. Oh, God. That's like – sorry. That's like the perf- – that's the perfect, like, league scenario. League takes thing that is, like, deteriorating and getting so worse that people don't want to watch it, turn it around and make it – fun and enjoyable for everybody and money goes to charity like that should be how like things are done like I at think, the end of the day it's an entertainment business and they've created an entertaining product yeah they this, the nba all-star game it lets their players just show off how fucking good they are at their sport <laughs> yeah and, and not like the, not yeah, like not can... like not like football and baseball and hockey don't it's just that there's this vibe with the NBA that I feel like the other sports have yet to sort of match. Yeah, I feel like baseball's baseball was the best all-star game and is now the next best because, like, you're actually playing baseball. Like, it's just kind of hard to showcase each individual considering you only get however amount of time. Whether it's, like, your starting pitcher that goes for, like, two and a quarter, maybe three innings, and then um, – is relieved immediately. Um, and with football, I mean, we've been talking like maybe they should do flag. Maybe they should do something else. So, Yeah, I think flag would probably be the best option for football. I, I just think the NBA combines like the best of the best with an incentive to play. Mm-hmm. Just like that perfect combination. And we get what we got. Yesterday, I feel like this All-Star weekend was like the immaculate reception. Like the on Saturday, the pass got broken up, a.k.a. the dunk contest and the festivities not being incredibly fun, except for Obi mm-hmm. Toppin. His dunks were cool. Shut up. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> and then Franco Harris caught it and ran it for a touchdown, a.k.a. the All-Star game and everything surrounding it yesterday mm-hmm. with all the NBA 75 stuff. I thought that was really cool. Um, it was just a ton of fun. Uh, we're going to get to All-Star weekend in a bit we're gonna dive deeper in a little bit what i wanted to do today was share some all-star break superlatives and just storylines about the first portion of the season uh it resumes on thursday let's start with one big takeaway from the first half of the season will what was one big takeaway you had from the first half of the season depth depth wins depth is just necessary especially like in the regular season in the past it's like the Celtics have always been good in the regular season because they have that depth. They have like that next man up mentality for a while. Same thing with the Warriors. But this year, when you have COVID, you got people coming off a 10 day contracts. You look at the top of the 
um, standings right now. Miami, literally depth at every single position. Like, just beautiful. Chicago, very deep roster. Phoenix, deep roster. Golden State Warriors, deep roster. Memphis Grizzlies, deep roster. Cleveland, deep roster. Even though Philly kind of just gutted themselves slightly, still a pretty deep roster. Milwaukee, deep roster. And then you get to the teams that have focused themselves on star power. Clippers, eighth. Lakers, ninth. Brooklyn, even though they're deep, like when people go out, they don't really have that next guy up eighth. Well, unless you're playing the Knicks. Yeah, exactly. Then you have enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, depth just wins regular season games, get to that higher seating, and just matters so, so, so much. I mean, the yeah. End of the day, it's the least injured team, but if you have depth, you can kind of do your best to counteract those injuries. I mean, yeah, look at last year's playoffs. Milwaukee and Phoenix were the two healthiest teams mm-hmm. all playoffs long. And then you look at this season, like Chicago and Memphis, you mentioned not only, like, do they have deep rosters, like, it showed when their top guys went out. Yeah, like Chicago job- and Memphis both have won without a lot of important pieces. When Ja goes out and they set the record for the biggest point differential ever, like, that's just... Exclamation point. And I'm glad that's one that's been um, – that's, like, has, has been emphasized because, I mean, you can have all the star power you want. I mean, obviously, Brooklyn with KD, Kyrie, and Harden was probably going to be the exception. But then they get hurt, and then your depth gets exposed. So your point gets proven, like, even further. And, like, that is shown in literally every sport. Like, every sport you need, like, guys. Like, you need just – as many guys as you possibly can. It's why Phoenix and Miami are currently at the top of their conferences because they just have so many guys that contribute on a winning, that contribute to winning on a regular basis. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'm very mm-hmm. glad you brought that up. Um, one, my one big takeaway out of the many that you could probably choose from, I think the value of having a really good big or bigs, if you're like Cleveland, sky has skyrocketed. Like, I think in this era of pace and space and going after perimeter on-ball scores, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but I feel like centers have gotten a little overlooked in a sense, and we're seeing, like, the emergence of teams with really good centers. Obviously, the top three MVP candidates are guys over 6'11". I mean, look at the teams with really good bigs. Denver, Philly, Milwaukee. I'll count Giannis plus a healthy Brooke Lopez. Like, Cleveland, their season has been revitalized in part obviously due to Darius Garland's breakup, but Jared Allen, Evan Mobley inside have become the best front court duo in the league, probably. And they have probably been the biggest part of Cleveland's complete turnaround. Um, Memphis, they've killed teams inside on the glass and just defending the paint with Steven Adams and Triple J. Like Phoenix, Aiden McGee, Biombo, just they've been awesome inside. Mm-hmm. Those are just three really rock solid centers. Uh, Utah, like, yeah, Gobert has struggled in the playoffs, but the Jazz are statistically better with Rudy Gobert on the court versus off the court. And, like, mm-hmm. he's been anchoring the Jazz defense for a while now. Um, he's really been keeping it afloat. Um, Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns. Miami with Bam Adebayo and whoever else they find on the street in the G League that they're able to turn into formidable big men. Like, the Heat mm-hmm. have, like, that 49ers ability – 
take anybody and maximize their potential. Yeah, they really do. I'm thinking of like college players that, in my opinion, wouldn't really suit well in the NBA. Like, um, I didn't know how well Struess was going to do in the NBA. I didn't know how well Yurt Seven was going to do. And they've turned them into very usable players. Um, I mean, even like Duncan Robinson, like no one really knew much about him. Just find him and just maximize him. Again, we've I've talked about on NFL stuff, just maximizing players. Miami's doing a very good job at that. And they don't have Oladipo back yet, which to me is like crazy. But like he's just a player that has a crazy ceiling for them and is essentially like, a Jimmy Butler 2.0 in like the like very like very like similar game styles. So I, I think, feel like he'll fit in well. I think he's a little more of a plus on offense. Well, mm, he's a, he's he's a little more electrifying on offense and mm-hmm. you get a little subtraction in the defense. But yeah, I like what you're saying there. Um Chicago Vooch has been like so vital to yeah. their success and like, in contrast, when he's off the court, like, Chicago's interior defensive and rebounding statistics plummet. Like, he is basically their everything inside. And, yeah, they have Tony Bradley. Um, but Vooch is very, very irreplaced. If, I, if Vooch goes down, God forbid, like, in the playoffs, I think Chicago is really going to struggle, especially in a conference with Giannis and Embiid. And even, like, Boston – the next team, like their defensive turnaround, their complete defensive turnaround has been a lot because of Robert Williams. Yeah. Like his rim protection has been spectacular. And that mm-hmm. was something the Celtics, like even with Daniel Tyson and his Cantor, like they were lacking yeah, that's in that department that they, in past playoff series. That's something that they've always wanted is like just a big body that can just protect the interior. And now with everyone getting back, they're what are they? Net defense one, if not net defense two. Yeah, at, at the very least, since the beginning of the new year, they've been tops in basically every important defensive category. Mm-hmm. And you look at teams that are lacking in the front court. I mean, Brooklyn. I know Ben Simmons is an awesome defender, but there have been plenty of occasions where Simmons has gotten beat off the dribble, and Embiid just erased whoever got by Simmons. And yeah. the Nets just don't have that unless Andre Drummond completely levels up, unless Nick Claxton completely levels up. But mm-hmm. I think just their lack of an interior presence, um, it has hurt them. And I, I still think it can hurt them, even, even now with Simmons. Um, yeah. Golden State, they don't have traditional centers on that Yet. team. Traditional healthy centers yeah. on that team. Um, even like Portland and Dallas – like Dallas, Dwight Powell was fun. Boban is fun. But ah, I, I don't love their ability to – even though their defense has been very, very good, I just don't – like in a playoff series. Like it's the – like they've been pretty solid at defending the interior. But like in the playoffs, I just, I, I just worry about more so Dallas. I mean like even Portland too. They could very well make the plan. Um, but those two teams, like we've seen them get exposed inside. I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm just glad that the value of the center has sort of um, been more noticed so mm-hmm. far this season. Yeah, I, 
I definitely agree. I think that a lot of teams in the past were missing – like the better teams, the teams with more star power, just happened to be like missing centers. So everyone was like, oh, like the big man, not really that crucial as such. But like you look at the people who did play the big man roles, I think a big thing that comes back to me is the um, – 73-win Golden State Warriors team, when Bogey goes out, that team just collapses. Or, like, with the Miami Heat, like, Chris Bosh was essentially playing that center role and is big enough and a big enough defender to play that center role. I mean, last year, yes, Giannis has played in more of a small forward, power forward role, but he's still 6'11 with a giant wingspan that can alter any shot at will and can play a defensive anchor. And I think it's a mix of like having a good big man, but also just that defensive anchor. Yeah, and I think on both ends of the floor, like with perimeter guys, this is more so on offense. You can physically stop them. Like mm-hmm. I think bigs, like really good bigs, are a lot harder to guard when they're awesome inside f- threats. Like we talk about in the basketball world, we talk about this idea of gravity. Like how much gravity does a certain player have? And I feel like with a center, it's more impactful, that gravity. Like with perimeter guys, I feel like Stephen Curry is the gravity anomaly. Like you mm-hmm. literally have to be paying attention to him every second of the shot clock. Yeah. Or else he can kill you. I guess you can say that about Clay Thompson as well. But I, Steph, I guess Steph is the hyper example of that. But inside, you've seen so many guys throughout history, like Kareem, Russell, um, Modern-day examples, like Shaq is sort of in the middle of that. But, like, nowadays it's Embiid. Like, Embiid attracts so much attention in the paint that it opens up other things. Like, I feel like with a guard, if you do double-team, like, you're trapping them at the top versus inside you're trapping a big man, like, inside, and that's a lot easier of a situation to get out of than getting trapped, like, towards the half-court line. And we see with defenses, like, if you're going to leave and beat on an island, be, my, be our guest. Yeah. And if you're going to double and beat, cool. Somebody is wide open on the perimeter versus, you, like, you can trap. Like, a big reason why I, I picked the Blazers to beat the Lakers in the bubble. Like, I really thought they were going to beat the Lakers in the bubble because I was like, who the heck is going to guard Damon CJ? Like, I don't care that they can't play defense. <laughs> It was, this was also when Damian Lillard was lighting the bubble on fire. I was like, who is going to guard Damian Lillard? And it's just a lot easier to not get hurt as much on defense guarding Damian Lillard versus, like, Joel Embiid. Yeah. It's also, especially in the NBA, this is apparent, it's a lot harder for a big man to have a bad game than it is for a guard to have a bad game. Case in point, Curry. Curry's had a bad game for the past, like, or he's been on a very big downtick, like very recently. And that's because he's shooting the ball from farther distances. The percentages just happen to work out where he's essentially playing against himself. It's like he himself can cause himself to have a bad day. And it doesn't really matter what the defense does. Like he could be on and then the defense could also have a good day and that could cause him to be off. He could be off and defense is bad and it still just doesn't matter. Whereas it's hooks, it's layups, it's post moves. And all of those are still higher percentage shots than even the best three-point shooter in the league. 
and you're not really fighting against yourself, it's also easier to get a lucky roll on the inside. You can get that touch. You can hit the backboard. You can, like, just barreling in. Just the percentages work out. So I think just having that big man just gives you a constant factor. And whereas I think – oh, those, go ahead. Whereas those guards, you just don't know. Like, again, like Lillard having a great stretch, like, bad game. And it's like it's not even on him because he just himself had a bad game. It wasn't even like the Lakers really shut him down. Like, you can just kind of shoot horrendously. Yeah, and I think another thing with big men, like, yeah, you talk about having, like, a bad game. Like, you're still going to have that, and you're still going to have to shame around a really good big man. Like, if a, if a Damian Lillard, if a Devin Booker has a bad game, like, it's not like you're still sending double teams at him. Like, mm-hmm. you can guard him one-on-one. You don't have to completely change your defense in order to guard him, whereas a guy down low, you can't just leave an awesome big man, like, one-on-one. Yeah. Like, you, you just can't, unless you, too, also have an awesome big man to guard him, which is not a lot of teams in the league. Yeah, it's like if Embiid starts, like, missing layups and hooks, like, when they're double-teaming, and they're like, oh, he's having a bad game, like, let me just throw one, and then he's just going to kill you for the next 15 possessions. Yeah, I, I agree. And also, I think when we look at the draft – like, I feel like in an era, as I already mentioned, where wing scorers are completely clamored after. Like, we're always trying to find the next awesome perimeter on-ball score. I mean, look at the draft last year. Now, I had Cade Cunningham over Evan Mobley. Not saying I would have picked Mobley first. But there are far more Cade Cunninghams out there than Evan Mobley's. Like, Evan Mobley's are extremely hard to find. Yeah. Just like a franchise big. And if you can get one, like, holy crap. Does that do wonders for, like, your franchise trajectory? Because I feel like wings are running backs in the sense that there's so many of them in today's game. Like, you can you, – you don't have to have – like, having an awesome one is obviously great. But at the same time, centers are similar to quarterbacks as in as – in, if you have an elite center, like, wow, you are – you're gold, not quite golden, but you're far closer to golden. I think a center is like having a great O-line. Not a lot of teams have one, but when you have one, it's like, wow. Like, it really, like, puts you over the top, and it helps expand the rest of your areas because if you have a big center, or if you have a – sorry, not a big, just a good center, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about it. That's okay. I like the mm-hmm. offensive line comparison more because you don't have to worry about it. Yes. It's not – it's like the opposite of a problem area. Okay. I really like that. Okay, let's move on. Biggest surprise. Well, who's who was the what was the biggest surprise of the first half of the season? Um, to me, it's how good Phoenix has been. Um, really mad that Chris Paul went down. I feel like one of us was going to mention the Grizzlies, so I didn't want to mention them, and if neither of us mentioned them, it's going to be bad. So we're touching them. But Phoenix playing as well as they have, uh, to me, just like is surprising they are 48 and 10 right now they are number one in the west and it's just like this huge turnaround like last year they were this is kind of like the warriors um when they like first made the finals and everyone's like it's a fluke and then the next year they go win 73 games like it feels like that it feels like they like took this like people thinking that's a fluke season personally 
I mean, look at how many guys have double figures. I know a lot of them haven't played every single game, but Mikel Bridges, 13. Devin Booker, 25. Chris Paul, 15 almost. DeAndre Ayton, 16. Cam Johnson, 11. Cameron Payne, 10. Frank Kaminsky, 10. And, like, yes, Kaminsky played nine games, but he played nine crucial games with 20 minutes. They're also shooting on good percentages as well. Like, especially from two, there's only two people that are – or three people that are below 50, and then they're all playing a lot. I mean, I don't know. It's like just – it's very sound basketball, very – smooth clinical basketball oh absolutely i think the suns like they have the most aesthetically pleasing box scores in the entire nba you just look at them usually on the nightly um it's like 24 10 16 like 10 15 then you'll have a couple of guys at the bench with like 12 and 10 it's just very nice to look at but yeah the phoenix suns i was going to get to them a little bit later when we we're talking about first half happenings that were a fluke I just think the Suns are the least talked about 48 and 10 team of all time. Yes. They are 47 and 7 in their last 54. They started 1 and 3. They have won 47 of their last 54. And they are tied for the most wins ever at the All Star break with the 2015 16 Warriors. Um, I just, oh my God. They are literally everything you want in a basketball team. They have mm-hmm. an awesome on ball score. They have one of the better pass-first point guards you could ever ask for. You have a collection of really solid bigs. You have great shooters. You have great on-ball defenders. And an amazing coach that all the players respect and that has a track record of winning. And another thing I like, there is zero drama. Zero drama within that team. Like, there are no outside distractions. Yeah, that could also be just, like, why it's not – um, talked about as much because like I mean you look at the Suns and it's all basketball like there's not a whole lot of like media coverage to talk about yeah there's you don't have Chris Paul saying how he's he doesn't care what team he's on he's gonna go play with the Sun uh, mm-hmm. you don't have anybody else getting into any kind of uh, social media spats yeah. with anybody else they're just not giving the media a lot to talk about other than they're just good at basketball and that's boring yeah. to the NBA media yeah, I mean, you look at the basic statistics. Fourth in points per game, sixth in opponent's points per game, number one in SRS, eighth in pace, offensive rating fourth, defensive rating third, net rating first, and first in the league. Yeah, there's just – I feel like, yeah, as, as we said, there's just not a lot to talk about other than they're just really good at basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time to respect that and talk about it more. Yeah. Just my personal opinion. Um, my biggest surprise, there were a few candidates. Phoenix is obviously one. Memphis is another. Cleveland is another. I just think the East being as good as it's been has probably been the biggest surprise for me. And it's not that it's Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and everyone else like we thought it was going to be before the season. Like the top eight teams right now, Miami, Chicago, Philly, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto, Brooklyn. I think all of them could conceivably be the one seed. 
come playoff time. And I think all of them, like if someone from July 2022 suddenly appeared next to me and told me any one of these teams is repping the East in the finals, I'd be like, yeah, all right. I can see that. Actually, maybe not Toronto or Boston, but still, my point stands. Um, And just look at the potential playoff schedule for these teams. Like, let's just say the current standings hold. Let's take Miami, who's the one seed. Their Mm -hmm. first two rounds could be Brooklyn and then Milwaukee. (laughs) God. Like, another thing, multiple really good teams are going to be out in round one. Mm -hmm. Like, the road to the finals is going to be incredibly difficult. And it's like our high school bracket here, like, at least on the guy side. Like, there's so many really good teams on our region, and some of them are going to be out round one. And, like, the path to states is going to be a freaking ringer. Mm -hmm. Especially for, like, even Wooten. I was talking with Coach Lund about this. They're, like, 4-16, and but... They have lost a lot of close games. Yeah, especially recently. They lost in the half-court buzzer beater against Gaithersburg. I heard um, about that. That was that's they beat, tragic. They beat us by one point after blowing three layups in a row. Like, even us, like, our net differential for points is probably, like, three. <laughs> like, we just – every single game is close, and that's replicated with the NBA. Yeah, and I, I was talking to Gonzaga coaches earlier. Um, apparently every single game with them is really close. Um, I don't know what their record is. I don't know what they're doing, but I got friends on the team. Like I know who they're playing against and stuff. And it's like, it like makes sense. It's like everyone's, it seems like everyone in basketball, college, NBA, high school have had points where they're clicking tremendously, but nobody's clicked for an entire game even. Yeah, let alone, like, the entire season. That's why I think in college, I think there are going to be so many upsets mm-hmm. in March Madness. There are go- like, you thought last year there was a lot of upsets? There were, but I think there's going to be even more Yeah, this year. Yeah, I think that the, like, COVID year last year is really, like, because, like, how many people had access to and also used that access to touching a basketball? Even if you're like, even think about the NBA last season. Like, you have a short season, you have a short off season. Like, you don't know how that season's going to play out. You got to play in tournament for the first time. You got all these other things, and it's just like, I don't know. It, there's just, I feel like we're still feeling the replications of unknowing calamity. Yeah, it's it was it's hard reacclimating after a mm-hmm. year of nothingness, just mm-hmm. like a complete pause in action. Um, or something, but it was just off. Yeah, and I think even just with just basketball in general, like, there's so many more good teams. Like, the players are better Yeah. than they were at, like, everywhere, mm-hmm. you know? I feel like there's fewer teams that suck. Even though they still exist, I feel like there's a lot fewer of them. Everyone's got double-digit wins. Yeah, it feels like that. With your our high school region, with college – um, even just like something as simple as like the ACC, like there's a collection of six teams in the ACC right now, I believe that's around six that could all conceivably win the ACC tournament. Mm-hmm. They have a, like around similar odds to win the ACC tournament, but like back to the NBA, I feel like another interesting storyline with the East 
I feel like them being as a whole better than the West is crazy to me just because I feel like throughout most of the time we've been following basketball, it's always been West over East. They always say the East is a cakewalk or the East is a far easier path than the West. But I think the tide, no, the tides have turned. Hmm. I really, I really think so. Cause if we pull up the standings in the, at the very least in the East, um, like Brooklyn is eighth. Yeah. You know? But like, I mean, the, the, the Lakers and Clippers, eighth and ninth. I know, but the separation between one and eight in the East is seven, but, and the separation between one and eight in the West is 19 and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think there are much wider gaps between the contenders in the West and the not as much contenders as in the East. Like, the Celtics are four and a half games out of the one seed. And it's not like the Western Conference in the NHL, more so the Pacific Division, where it's just like Colorado and everybody else. And it's like Calgary just happens to be second because that's the way their division shook out. No, like the Raptors and Celtics and Cavs, like they're all good. Yeah. They're not just a product of a quote, like bad conference or anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just thought that was that was really cool, really interesting, really surprising. Uh, yeah. Will biggest disappointment so far? <sighs> to me, it's between the Lakers and the Clippers. Even though it's over, it's to the point where it's beyond over talked about. It's just got to be the Lakers. Like it's looking like when LeBron was carrying Lonzo Ball and Kuzma and all of them. Like, it's gotten, like, that bad. And it's, like, the second year that it's happened, too. Like, I don't know. It's just everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, I don't know. It's just – it's weird because, like, from a statistical standpoint, like – you look at um, what everyone's averaging, and you're like, there's no way they're that bad. They got two 20-point scorers. Russ is averaging 18. Malik Monk and Melo are both averaging 13. They got two nine-point scorers. Like, or technically one. Isaiah Thomas only played for four games. But, like, it can't be that bad. And that's like, oh, Anthony Davis has only played – 37 games. Oh, LeBron's only played 41 games. Meanwhile, Westbrook has played all 57 games. So shout out to Westbrook for at least being able to do that. Shout out to Westbrook for also not being able to hit the side of a barn. Like this entire team just doesn't pass the eye test. No, this is not an eye test team. I mean, when you talk about biggest disappointments, there's a few candidates. I mean, the Knicks are probably one, even though we expected regression. Um, yeah, it's been pretty bad lately. Uh, I mean, you could throw Utah in there, but, like, they're still good. It's not like they got yeah. worse. It's more so, like, Phoenix and Golden State and Memphis are all awesome. I think yeah. with the Lakers, it's just the fact that I, I think the biggest disappointment is in myself and others, as in, like, we didn't see this version of the Lakers coming at the beginning of the season, and we probably should have. Like, I don't think anybody did. I think everyone was like, oh, LeBron's getting the boys together. No, it's like we looked at this roster and we're like, yeah, this is going to be good. I think Russ is going to mesh really well 
I don't with LeBron and AD. Like it, it's it's mm, crazy. It's like I feel like we should have seen this coming. That's the thing. Everyone like knew like that Russ wasn't gonna mesh well, and it's the fact that like we just didn't care. Yeah, like, that's why I'm dis- that's why I'm disappointed. Like it's we work. didn't take that into account. Yeah, we all just thought it was gonna work, and we also thought like you know we were all like, eh, honestly, letting Alex Caruso and KCP walk will totally not affect our perimeter defense. <laughs> Like, I just feel like we looked over all of those very obvious warning signs yes. that the Lakers were not going to be awesome. Yeah. How about so, the uh, yeah, that's probably – that's why I'm disappointed is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, their offensive rating is actually nine places worse than their defensive rating, which to me is insane because they look like a horrendous um, defensive team. And it's also just like effort. Like, if you've seen any, like, Lakers clip, it's either you see Russ going 100% and taking, like, a fine shot and it just looks horrendous, but, like, everyone else is jogging. Like, it's just, like, there's no switch to be had. And the watching those moments is where I understand why LeBron was the way he was over this past weekend and has said the things he has said lately about wanting to play with Bronny and the alleged reports of him uh, not being happy with the Lakers front office for not doing anything at the mm-hmm. trade deadline. But at the same time, I said this on the trade deadline pod, like the Lakers put themselves in this position to not do anything at the trade deadline, to not be able to do anything at the trade deadline and to not really make their team better unless they did a Westbrook for wall trade, which apparently LeBron wanted and the Lakers front office was like, no, so I think the threats LeBron is making, while I don't love the precedent that it sets, like if you just take control of a team, build it the way you want, and then you're dissatisfied with the product, so you're just going to leave the franchise like in the dust with not a lot of assets for the future. Like I don't love that precedent, but at the same time, I understand where LeBron is coming from. I definitely understand it. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we both agree that the Lakers are the biggest disappointment. All right. Something we were all right on, or something that it seemed like we were all right on. Well, I'll let you go first. Um, hmm. This one was one that I had like trouble with because there were, there's a lot of things that just like came out of honestly nowhere this season. Like, I don't think a single team in the standings, I would have been like, hmm. This this like makes sense. Um so I guess for me I was right about Detroit doing their best to become the Brooklyn Nets of like three, four years ago. Where they're just buying players to buy players and just hoping that something hits. They're essentially trading away pieces and using players that people have like, given a couple of years on, essentially, is like old draft picks, which is kind of what the Nets did with D'Angelo Russell, but they're, like, taking on big contracts as well. And it's just, like, Detroit's just trying to f- find the way to put pieces together. Um, I mean, Cade Cunningham, his ceiling is as high, if not higher, than where it was when he was drafted, which is just kind of what you want to see. He's the type of player that, like, his ceiling will always be super high. It just, like, depends whether or not he'll reach it for the next four years, I want to say. 
Um, and you look at what they're doing, and they're like exactly where you expected them to be, which is kind of nice, almost in a way. Like, I don't know. I just think that, like, again, like they got Marvin Bagley. Like, they're taking shots on him. They're trying out um, Sadiq Bay. They've got like Hamadou Diallo and Frank Jackson, um, Trey Lyles, even like Cassius Stanley, who was in high school for eight years. Like it's like they're just trying to. Yeah, the Pistons are—they're a good bad team. Like you're—they're in—they're in a good spot for a bad team. Like they've got. Yes. They also have, they haven't really gotten blown out this season, have they? No, they haven't looked like a dumpster fire, which is where you want to be yeah. if you're gonna not be as good as other NBA teams. So yeah, I think that's yeah. I kind of like what the Pistons did at the trade deadline. I thought they were sneaky winners. I like how they got had to basically give up. I don't want to say nothing because these are NBA players after all. But they didn't have to give up a lot in order to get Marvin Bagley, who I still think can be good. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I really like Sadiq Bey. Obviously, there's Cade Cunningham. Uh, who knows if Killian Hayes is going to work out? He's just been shooting horrendous from outside. Like, wow, like 19% over yeah. the last little bit from outside, um, even though I think they can work in that backcourt. But I don't know. I just think they're taking chances, as you said. And, um, yeah, they're in a good spot. I like where the Pistons are at right now. Um, staying with rookies, I think we were kind of all right on this rookie class is going to be really good. And I've sort of measured it in this way. So I've started measuring draft classes in both the NBA and the NFL. Um, and I guess it could be applied to other sports as well, based on two questions. Like, will the players in this class be impactful players? And will they be impactful players for a while? They don't have to necessarily be all superstars. But, like, how many guys are contributing in the league for a long time? Mm-hmm. And you look at the quote, the GOAT classes, um, like 96 or 03, like the amount of guys that were impactful for a long time. And again, not necessarily superstar impactful, but guys that play meaningful roles on NBA teams. You look at 85, you have Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen, Charles Oakley, Carl Malone. Awesome. You also have Joe Dumars, Detlef Shrimp, Terry Porter, AC Green. Like, guys that played a meaningful role on NBA teams for a long time. Look at 96. Obviously, you have AI, Ray Allen, Kobe, Steve Nash. You also had Marcus Camby, Stephon Marbury, Jermaine O'Neal, Antoine Walker, Pedro Stojakovic, Derek Fisher, Big Z, Dejunas Agauskas, guys that contributed for a long time. 03, LeBron Wade Mello Bosch. You also had 27 players. That played for at least 10 seasons in the NBA. That is the most out of any draft class from 1985 to 2012. You have David West, Leandro Barbosa, Kyle Korver, Mo Williams, Boris Jow. Like, guys that were in the NBA for a long time that played meaningful roles. Like, Boris Jow, perfect example. Huge part of the Spurs title run. Like, Uh huge. And look at this class. So many guys, I think, are going to have roles on NBA teams for a while. Like, I don't think Quentin Grimes is ever going to be the number one option on an NBA team. But I fully expect him to be a winning contributor for at least a decade. Like, Ayo number one option potential? Ah! 
Really effing good basketball player? Yes. <laughs> Josh Giddy, number one option? Not sure. Very good player for a long time. I see that. And I see that in a lot of guys in this class. And you look at the upcoming NFL draft class. There's no prize prospect. There's no generational talent like Trevor Lawrence or Andrew Luck. But there are so many guys when I watch them. Like I watch Nicobe Dean. I watch Devin Lloyd. I watch Garrett Wilson. And I'm like, there are so many guys in this class that are going to be impact players for a long time. And that's why if I'm the Jets or the Giants or the Eagles who have multiple first-round picks, I am extremely reluctant to trade them. Like, there's too many guys that can be integral parts of championship teams in this upcoming NFL draft. And it's kind of the same way I feel in this year's NBA class, which I think has been really cool. Yeah, it's like... This year's NBA draft class is like a draft class full of missing pieces. Like everyone's looking for their like the missing piece. Like when it comes down to the end of the day, usually it's buying a dish or something. This just looks like a whole bunch of people that will be or a whole bunch of players that will become missing pieces. Like that, someone's yeah. gonna pick up Josh Giddy and it's gonna like he's gonna be like a six man of the year for like two years when he's like 32 or something like that. Like that's just to me what this entire draft class feels like. Yeah. We're going to look at these guys, at the trade deadline, like how Robert Covington has been viewed these past few years. Every single year, Robert Covington is the missing piece to a championship team. Yes. Um, I feel like that's going to be the vibe with a lot of these players. Like again, mm-hmm. missing pieces, guys that fill roles that are foundational pieces, not yeah. necessarily the best players, but guys that are integral to winning. Mm-hmm. So I think that's cool. Um, I guess another takeaway from this rookie class, it's that a rookie's success like is dependent, not fully dependent, but is dependent on the situation they lie in. Like there's mm-hmm. this debate in psychology, nature versus nurture, which is basically asking, are you who you are because of your genetics or the environment you grow up in or the environment that you live in? Now, my answer to that would be both, and I think it's the same way in the NBA. Like LeBron, he's succeeding on the Lakers, he's succeeding on the Thunder, he's succeeding on the Kings. Like, he's just LeBron. He'll be exceptional anywhere. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about rookies, guys that are freshly acclimating to the NBA, I think the nurture argument is very, very strong. Like, Mm -hmm. look at Jalen Green's situation in Houston versus Jonathan Kaminga's. I was just going to make that comparison. In Golden State. Now, this is no shot at Jalen Green. But Jalen Green in Houston, like, there's nothing to guide him. Like, he's just getting thrown into the fire. There's no compass telling him what to do, where to go in an NBA offense. He's just kind of allowed to do whatever, and that builds bad habits. Whereas with Jonathan Kaminga, he's under the guidance of Draymond Green. He is in a winning culture. He is in an offense where he's learning to cut and move and sort of learning how to, quote, behave in an NBA offense. Like, I think getting drafted by the Warriors was the best possible thing that could have happened to him. Like, let's say he goes to Orlando a pick later or Sacramento a pick after that. I don't think Jonathan Kaminga is nearly as good on those teams as he is in Golden State. Uh, Look at Scotty Barnes, too. And and then Jalen Suggs a pick later. Scotty Barnes, a player that, like, everyone thought was taken too soon, but it was really just, like, 
they saw enough out of him fitting in their system that they're like, if we maximize him, like we're going to be doing great things. Yeah, and I think if he goes a pick later to Orlando, like he might become just another Jonathan Isaac. Just like a really, it's like a solid defender, but that's kind of it. Like Barnes has been able to develop a really nice offensive game. Yes. Maybe not floaters from just outside the restricted area. (laughs) But other than that, very good. And I think that's a product of him being in Toronto and not Orlando. Yes. For example. Um, All right, let's take a break. We'll get to a few more superlatives, then we'll close out with the All-Star game. Wow. All right, we're back. Will, I'll let you take the lead on this first superlative after the break. Second half surge player. Who is a player that you think is due for a surge in the second half of the season? I think it's Clay Thompson. Yeah. I think I think training wheels are off. Like, let's go. Um, if you, like, look at it now, he's essentially – he's been putting up 17 – points per game only shooting 37 percent from uh three which is down from his career only shooting 41 percent, which is down from his career shooting 93.5 percent from the line 17 per singular win share but he's had a whole lot there's a whole lot of people in that roster that are like kind of taking away from what clay is like had to do this is like Jordan Poole putting in the scoring. This is Andrew Wiggins putting in the scoring with a little bit of defense. I mean, technically Kuminga's done his best to like fill in for Clay Thompson, but when it's going to come down to it late in the season, they're going to need Clay to start averaging twenty and twenty-five and really just establish himself as that second option. Because to be honest, at this point, it's still Steph and a whole lot of pieces, but a whole lot of really good pieces. It needs to be Steph Clay and a whole lot of really good pieces. Um, I just think that he's just going to get more and more and more comfortable. He's only averaging 25 minutes a game. That's another thing. He is taking 14 shots, but like, I think more minutes, same amount of shots will do him a lot better. I think if he gets to that 30-minute range and is still taking the 14.8 to 15 shots, it just means that he's taking 15 better shots than he would on less minutes. Um, And he's also just got to get to the line more. Only shooting 1.9 free throws per game, but he's only missing 1.8. Just keep getting to the line, keep drawing those fouls, keep getting those points. Yeah, I think it was very clear early on, especially in the first game back against Cleveland, like there were training wheels on Clay Thompson. Yeah. Like this was not full Clay Thompson. And mm-hmm. it's gotten better and better as the season has gone along. The threat of Clay Thompson has returned to a, a good amount of capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the Warriors are absolutely going to need Clay Thompson if they do want to make a run because the weight cannot be shouldered on Steph. Even though they found Jordan Poole, even though they found Kaminga, um, who knows if uh, Porter, they found all-star starter Andrew Wiggins. Um, <laughs> even with that, you can't replace Clay. Yeah. 
there is no replacing Clay Thompson. And yeah, I think the training wheels are going to start to come off, especially uh, if the, when the Warriors start like really ramping up for the playoffs, or if they decide to rest them, who knows? Um, I think the Warriors should roll in their first first round series, whoever they play, whether that be Portland or New Orleans or whoever comes out of that shitty playing field in the West. Um, but yeah, I would love a second half surge from Clay Thompson. But nothing would make me happier than a fully on fire Clay Thompson. That's fun. Do you know who's shooting the best percentage from three on the Warriors right now? Otto Porter. Wiggins. Hmm. Where's he at? 41. Only person at 40. Hmm. Cool Stop stat of the day. Yep. The more you know. Um, mine is sticking in the West. Anthony Edwards. Now, he's made an incredible leap already from last season. I still think there's potential for a complete supernova. Like a complete, like, big bang. Like, he... I can just, like, feel it. I don't have a ton of evidence to back this up other than just watching him play. Like, you now... Obviously, you have to watch, like, all of the tape. Like, you can't mm-hmm. just watch the highlights. Um, But he just... Man, his combination of skill and power, it's just so unbelievably tough to stop. And I don't know. He's just a guy that I can foresee upping his average from 21 in game to, like, 25, 26. Like, easy. Mm-hmm. Like, super-duper easy. I don't have a lot of, like, at, like again, evidence to back this up other than I, I just feel it. I can feel it. Um, Another one I thought of, Russell Westbrook. I guess in that case, the only way is up. Now, here's the thing. I know he, Russell Westbrook has not done this throughout his entire career and hasn't quite tapped into it yet this season with the Lakers, and it has hurt them. Russ being an off-ball superstar. Like, I think if Russ can tap into more of an off-ball role, like, I think the Lakers are a better basketball team. Now, this isn't me saying Russ shouldn't have the ball, like, shouldn't have the ball period like he's a fearless basket attacker a fearing basket attacker he's a really good passer too when russ has a triple double like the lakers usually win his teams usually win but at the same time like i just think it would be beneficial to the lakers for him to be an awesome cutter an awesome like off-ball screener just an awesome off-ball mover because he has the physical traits to get where he wants and he has lebron james on his team who's going to be able to find him. Mm-hmm. Like, I was watching the Utah game the other night. Now, yes, LeBron did take over in the fourth quarter. But at the same time, like, Westbrook was moving a lot off the ball, and LeBron was finding him. The Lakers got a lot of easy baskets because of it. And Russ even said after the game, our wings are running and doing a much better job of curling, excuse me, cutting, including myself, just moving the ball and putting people in positions where they can be successful. Now, Russ yeah. has absolutely been a star with, as an on-ball scoring point guard. But he, he's had the, the more optimal, scenar- optimal scenario with the teams that he's been on is for him to not necessarily be the Russell Westbrook that Russell Westbrook has been. And I think that's the case with the Lakers. And I think if he embraces more of that off-ball role, I think we could see a surge from not only Russ, but possibly for the Lakers, dependent on health. Now, I'm not saying, like, top three seed in the West. No, not at all. Like, with this roster, no. Just, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. 
But I think the Lakers can definitely be a better basketball team. And Russ can be a much better player if he mm-hmm. can transition into more of that role. Yeah. I'd so, yeah, that's my, that's my spiel. Yeah. Um, second half surge team. Will, who you got? Um, I'm going to go Nets. Oh, that's what I had. I mean, I think we can both agree that just like um, you only have to put like 50% of it together to get like a better result. Like, obviously, James Harden was playing games and stuff, but like half of their games so far this year have been played without Kyrie, probably even more than that. Um, And it's like another thing that's again like, um, there's only way is up. Um, like it just something something's going to click, and it's just just going to see it. Yeah. Um, when I was watching the Knicks completely melt down the other night to the Nets, I noticed something with Brooklyn I'd yet to notice. Like with this era of the Nets, like one, it was the ancillary guys lifting the Nets to victory. Like, it was Cam Thomas, the guy I was clamoring for the Knicks <laughs> to draft. The guy I've said on this podcast has to step up if the Nets want to make a title run. Drops 21, including one of the colder game win- winners you will ever see. That was disgusting. It's Seth Curry hitting six threes. It's Andre Drummond grabbing 19 rebounds. And there was, like, this energy to them that I had yet to see with them. I mean, I talk about the Yankees – a lot, how it's like they've had this energy to them. It's like, oh, we're the Yankees. We're going to be fine because we're good. And that's lost them a lot of games. Uh, And it's kind of been the same energy with Brooklyn. There hasn't been like this, quote, underdog mentality with them. Now, obviously, when you have three of the five most gifted scorers on planet Earth, uh, you're going to have that mentality. But when they were forced, when they were the underdogs, like they stepped up. Yeah. I I just hadn't seen that yet with Brooklyn. And now they're going to get, they're going to get Simmons. They're mm-hmm. going to get Kyrie at least part-time. Who knows if New York changes the Vax rules? I don't know. KD is going to come back at some point. Mm-hmm. And if they can get this kind of support from their 4 through 11 guys, their 4 through 10 guys, like Brooklyn, even though I have a really tough time seeing them having a championship parade, like I just yeah. can't. That's just a vision I am struggling to fully produce in my head. I just think that's really a really dangerous basketball team. Yeah. I think the one problem that comes down the stretch is maybe Brooklyn did this on purpose to lose a whole lot of games so they don't have to host a playoff series and not have Kyrie for a majority of a series. Um, but that that's a scary scenario. I don't think that that's been – I think that's been thought about in terms of a regular season thing. But, like, playoffs come and you're hosting – people for four games or I mean imagine if it's like the Nets versus the Warriors in the finals and Kyrie can't play the entire series like that's a that's, possi- pos- that's possible exactly so yeah I think they're definitely a second half surge team but playoffs something's gotta click they also just need less drama which is impossible but I mean, yeah, the media is still going to talk about them. That's, not, that's something they can't really avoid. 
Yeah, it just got to it's just got to be positive. A few other teams I was thinking about. I guess like yeah, yeah, a few other teams I was thinking about for this. Portland and Indiana accidentally surging, like mm-hmm. accidentally being better. Like if Anthony Simons, you have, have you seen Thunderstruck? Yes. So it'll be like when Brian and KD both touched the ball and like mm-hmm. they transferred basketball abilities. I feel like that happened with Simons and Lillard or something, except they both got awesome basketball abilities. Because Anthony Simons has looked like Damian Lillard light. Now there have he's obviously not on the trajectory of Damian Lillard yet. But from what I've seen, I've been extremely impressed. And with Indiana, I talked about it right after the trade deadline. I think they've definitely wanted to tank. But then the Kings were like, hey, here's uh, Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. And you also have Chris Duarte, Malcolm Brogdon, and Isaiah Jackson. Like, I can totally see the pace just playing themselves out of high lottery odds. Yeah. I, I think that they won't care if they play themselves out of high lottery odds, though. Well, no, because their franchise trajectory not, like, hasn't completely changed, but has definitely changed. Think about it. They got, like, essentially they already – that was them getting a first-round pick. Yeah, because Halliburton is still, what, 21, 20, Also, point guard, the, like, good old point guard doesn't develop until, like, a 23-type thing. Like, look at Lonzo this year. Look at Lonzo the last couple of years. Yeah, like, look at, like, Steve Nash didn't make a sizable difference until whenever. Jason Kidd didn't make a sizable difference until whenever. Steph Curry didn't make a sizable difference until whenever. Kyrie put up good numbers on a bad team for three years. Like, a point guard takes the most amount of time. Yeah, and yeah, Halliburton hasn't hit like his, he's not even close to his prime yet, which is really, really crazy. Um, Kyle Lowry. I could just literally keep rattling names off. Jeremy Lin. (laughs) There were eight games, buddy. (laughs) One zero. Yeah. Um, All right. First half happening that you think was a fluke that somehow you don't think is going to carry over in the second half. Um, I think the Grizzlies are going to drop. Really? Yes. The entire state of Tennessee is now mad at you. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be like a huge thing, but it's kind of one of those teams where it's like a whole lot has gone right. And... To me, no one's like no one at on the Grizzlies has hit a slump or they haven't like had anything crazy happen to them. Like John missed a couple games, but like nothing like crazy has happened to them. Um, that's just kind of my reasoning. Like I love the vibes, I love the stock, but like, and I would honestly keep buying the stock, but it's like the they've overperformed. So you think that so you think they're just bound for regression? Yes. I don't think that it's going to be crazy. I think they're still gonna end up as a five seed or something like that. But it's like a too soon type thing. Or is it a too soon or like a too soon to believe? It's not too soon to believe. Because I believe that they can. I just I personally believe that it's too soon. All right. Well, when the Memphis Grizzlies go to the NBA Finals, I will bake you a cake that's at, that with 
the icing on it saying, I think the Grizzlies are going to drop off. Okay. I will also say that <laughs> Jaws played 46 games. Jaron Jackson's played all 59. Steven Adams played 56. Yes, Dylan Brooks has only played 21, but like Desmond Baines played 56 out of – or started 56 out of 56. Like they've been also ridiculously healthy. True. And I cannot they, argue with that. Yeah. This is a team that also thrives on athleticism too. So it's like one little tweak and it's like you got to like slow down for a sec. Yeah, the way Ja plays makes me extremely nervous. Yes. Like even though it is ridiculously exciting to watch. Like I remember a while ago we were having this conversation about J.D. Davison who's at Alabama right now. Mm-hmm. And we were watching videos. He did like an alley-oop to himself from the three-point line. Like, wow, that was crazy and stuff, but that's just not a sustainable way of playing basketball. Like, yeah. we, were, we were talking about, like, Harrison Barnes. Like, remember his early days on the Warriors when he was just trying to dunk on everybody? Yeah. And then he goes to the Kings, and you don't see that at all. I think he just knew that he couldn't just keep jumping and landing and putting I mean, that much pressure on his knees. I got three great examples. Everyone's always going to mention Derrick Rose. The forgotten one's John Wall. Hmm. Every- you also have Blake Griffin in there. You have Vince Carter, too. Well, well, I know he was the exception with age and stuff, but, like, he hurt, he hurt himself. Yeah. He was injury-prone. So, yeah, Jaws electrifying. I just, he just makes me very, very nervous. But uh, do also, I agree with you that I think there's going to be a Memphis drop-off? Mm. He, he also only shoots 33% from three. And damn it, I don't. I, I'm gonna have to think about this. I'm gonna have to think about this one. Also, 75% from the line is a lot worse than I thought. Yeah, you'd like that to be a few percentage points higher. Mm-hmm. All right, um, mine we already talked about a little earlier. It was just the Suns not being talked about enough. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be talked about more. Now, is that a tall task considering the Nets and Sixers and Lakers exist? Yes. And the NBA media is the way it is now. Yes, that's going to be hard. But um, gosh, I don't know. Like they're literally forty-eight and ten. And yeah. when I feel, I feel like whenever someone's brought up the Suns, it's just like, yeah, they're good. They're good. Mm-hmm. I feel like things are going to change if they keep on this sixty-plus win pace. Like they're yeah. just going to be tough to ignore. Exactly. And like they're even something as small-ish as like their clutch numbers. Like they're twenty-four and three in clutch games. Mm-hmm. They lead the league in field goal percentage by almost seven percentage points That's in clutch insane. situations over yeah. like the second best team. Their plus minus yeah. is almost two points higher than the second best. I think that they won't be talked in the second half of the season. I think they will be talked about in the playoffs. E three has still got not gotten his ring. I think that will be what they talk about. Well, yeah, media feeds off of storylines and narratives. Yeah, so but that's only a playoff storyline though. Yeah, well, that still counts the second half of the season, second portion of the season. So there's that. Um, Last thing, first half happening that you think can continue into the second half. I'm going to let you take this one first. You've taken all the other ones. All right, cool. Um, I had a few that I was thinking about. The Heat just continuing to be good because I just think their method of winning is sustainable. Um, The Kings continuing to look bad for trading Tyrese Halliburton. Um, That's definitely one. Uh, the NBA media's fondness of talking about the Lakers, Nets, and Sixers. Like, I just think that's, again, like, I think that's just inevitable. 
Yeah. Like, even if they should be talking about the Suns and the Heat and the Bucks and the Grizzlies, it, you're just going to see the Lakers and Nets and Sixers on your timeline. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a thing that's going to happen, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. So I will leave it at that. I'm going to go with the Bulls. What about them? Uh, being good. I, see them, I see them as still being the second seed when it comes to playoff time. Okay, yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I think that DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine are both playing way too well right now. Plus, like, shout out to Kobe White putting in, like, the work. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with uh, Lonzo Ball being out and Alex Caruso out. I think they're playing really well. Yeah, they've, again... They've proven to win without integral guys. All right, Will, real quick on the Bulls before we get to the All-Star game. Um, I just think that their method of success is sustainable and is going to get better. They're still winning games without Lonzo and Caruso. Um, They've brought in a whole bunch of pieces. I mean, looking at this roster, I don't, there's only like four so like consistent contributors that um like they drafted and such and I think they just meshed a very, very, very good roster together. Honestly kinda gives me a lot of uh LA Rams vibes. Um mm. but interesting. Yeah, I just it just looks just really sustainable. Also, Zach Levine shooting as high as he is from three, um, that to me is just crazy. Yeah, especially if yeah, you're I, like a college basketball guy. I could not see this coming out of college. I didn't see this version of Zach Levine coming out of UCLA. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a little mm-hmm. surprising, but it's been a very pleasant surprise. I've enjoyed watching him flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, quickly on the All-Star game. I think the game needs no reforms. It is perfect as it is. There is incentive to win. The players show off how good they are at basketball, and that's all I ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, the dunk contest. It's, it just has to be about the people that they bring in. What do you mean? It just has to, like, it has to be like it just depends on the people that they bring in. Like it's like, success? Yes. Like you would have rather seen John Levine? Yes. Well, there's no – I refuse to believe the NBA didn't reach out to them. I think they tried. And I feel like it's like the celebrity game where the NBA definitely reached out to a lot of more A-list celebrities. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't get the people they used to. Like, it used to be, like, Snoop Dogg and uh, Meek Mill and Justin Bieber. Like, people that most people actually knew. Like, I only knew about 60% of the people in the celebrity game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's that way with the dunk contest. Like, Obi Toppin's definitely one of the 10 best in-game dunkers in the league. So is Jalen Green. But the key word there is in-game. In-game. That was going to say it. Yeah. Like... 
I wouldn't even want to see like Anthony Edwards in a dunk contest because he just puts people on posters where it's not like it's Gerald Green catching a three six or catching a windmill off of a lob. Like, yeah, it's not. Yeah, and a lot of it is creativity too, and knowing your limits. Like Juan Toscano Anderson, he was trying dunks that he just couldn't do. Yeah, and that wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, ah, I, I just think, yeah, it definitely depends on the people because I think the format is fine. I don't think there's really anything you can do to the format. Like, they've tried the thing where they try to recreate dunks, but that's not fun at all because we've seen it before. I think that's another issue. Like, we've seen so many dunks before. Like, we've basically seen everything with the rise of the internet and with the rise of, like, non-NBA basketball players like Sir Isaac or Jordan Kilgannon, like, doing all these ridiculous dunks. Like, we've seen them before. And yeah, so it's tough to get, it's tough to get excited about this stuff. Yeah, I think that's another thing where it's like you look at the um like the three-point contest for example, like those are the best shooters that you're going to see, but it's like you look at the best dunk contest, those aren't the best dunkers that you've seen at all. Like there are people who like professionally do this for a living, so anything that you see someone's already done before. I think the last like dunk contest dunk that I saw that I'd never seen someone do before was the Aaron Gordon under both. The with the Obi Toppin one, his last dunk I'd never seen before. Someone's going between the legs, like off the backboard. Like that's a 50 in like a really good dunk contest. Like that was after a crappy dunk contest. People were like, oh, that was that was cool. That was whatever. That had been in like a 2016 kind of setting, like where the crowd was super duper into it. Yeah. And if that was in like New York or whatever, man, that would that's that's a fifty hands down. Even like his first dunk where he went around his back, mm-hmm. that's freaking cool. And it's also like they just didn't make him on their first try. Yes, that's that's like the big the biggest thing is just making it on your first try. Like I think if Cole Anthony had made his first dunk in a Tim's on his first try, like that would have been hype. But he didn't. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I just think the dunk contest. Yeah, again, it's about the people they bring in. Three-point and skills. I, I like them experimenting with the skills, doing the shooting stars thing, trying to incorporate the NBA 75 into it. Uh, the clutch challenge was not as, like, even though it was fun, like, it wasn't as fun as I had imagined, but I guess that's me just setting expectations. Yeah, um, I like that there's, like, staples, and then, like, they just mix other stuff in. Yeah, me too. And the game, again, no need, no need to change. It's doing great. <laughs> doing great. Doing numbers. I enjoyed watching. All throughout. And I thought it was so cool to, like, see so much basketball history in one place with the NBA 75. And all, like, the, the fun little narratives that came out. It's Ray Allen dapping up LeBron and not Pierce and Kevin Garnett, who clearly took it personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Michael Jordan just going up to random NBA All-Stars and just hugging them. And asking them to play one-on-one. You see that. Uh, and, they as, were, and, like, as, they, were, they were all laughing like he wasn't serious. Yeah. At least a little bit. Um, I don't know. I just think for me, as someone who follows basketball a lot, it was just cool to see all those guys that you've like researched and watched and looked up to your entire life just in one place, talking yep. to each other at one time. Yep. LeBron to the Cavs? <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It, yeah. At, not, maybe not this season, but like some point. They'll figure out a way. The, all the Cavs have to do is just sneak into the lottery somehow. And they're going to give him the first overall pick in Bronny's year. That's what is going to happen. I don't think Bronny would be a number one pick, though. 
he he oh shoot you're right i i don't know why i just assume that he's he's i think he's a great he's graded like 85 like an 85 grade he's somewhere in the 30s and 40s in his recruiting class so yeah he's probably unless there's a supernova happening in the future yeah he's probably not going to be a number one overall pick but the Cavs are going to get him somehow some way it's going to happen yep and um if Bronny ends up on the thunder you know, Bron is going to be posting about how beautiful Oklahoma is. That's what's going to happen. Um, all right, that is going to wrap it up. This has been a fun, lengthy, but fun conversation about NBA basketball. I've really enjoyed it. Yes. Um, will, you uh, go take care. Enjoy the rest of your day off. I will be doing that. All right, see you later, man. See you.